Hello, and welcome to another episode of God's Unfolding Promise to Renew the Whole Universe, the official podcast of Grace Lutheran Church's Confirmation Class. And in this week's upcoming reading and class, we are looking at Dan Erlander's Men and Mercy, Chapter 8, By the Waters of Babylon. This chapter uh, begins to talk about the exile. I think last time we had talked about the prophets and how God sent the prophets to kind of warn the people to bring them back into sort of God's manna and mercy ways. The people don't really listen to the prophets, and now they find themselves stuck in exile. And according to the prophets and the book of First and Second Kings, the result of exile is really on the part of the people themselves. Yes, it can sound like God is sort of judging them and condemning them to kind of the death and destruction that exile would become, but really the ultimate reason they ended up in exile was a result, as I think Dan Erlander puts it in his book, of the Israelites' own stupidity. Um, so it's really on them. God doesn't necessarily interject to stop it from happening, um, but neither is God fully to blame. And we really kind of see this in the book of Jeremiah, which is one of the major prophets. Uh, last week we talked about some of the minor prophets. Jeremiah is a major prophet because he has a he writes a lot. Uh, parts of Isaiah, kind of the beginning with chapter 40 on. Uh, by the way, that's the prophet that is the unnamed prophet that uh, Dan Erlander mentions in his book is a prophet that we often call Second Isaiah. There's also kind of a third Isaiah, also an unnamed prophet, and then also the book of Ezekiel. But something else really kind of begins to happen in exile. In many ways, exile is sort of the defining moment for our faith. I think this is both true for ancient or for Jew, uh, for Jews today, as it is for Christians. And I don't mean this in a kind of supersessionist way, where now we've kind of become the new Jews. No, I think without exile, un, trying to understand who what God is doing in and through Jesus would have sort of passed right right on by us. Um, if you've ever seen the old. Uh, movie, it even kind of predates my time, uh, uh, The Life of Brian, it kind of gets at this idea where you have this guy who is supposed to be, who really is nothing, who everybody's paying attention to. Meanwhile, Jesus is sort of seen in the background and is largely ignored or forgotten. And, and I think in many ways without exile, that's kind of what would have happened with Jesus. We would not we would not have been able to recognize who Jesus was because exile really is sort of a defining moment within the history of monotheism and in, in uh, Christianity and Judaism. Without because it was in exile where now you have prophets like Second Isaiah, like Ezekiel, uh you have other writers or theologians those who would, uh, such as the, the people who wrote the book of Deuteronomy, 
who finished off the books of kings um re and and even the priestly writers who they go all the way back to the very beginning of creation and reimagine what that might have been like and i'll get into some of the reasons why here in a few moments but up until this moment there is some debate of how distinctive ancient Israelite religion would have looked. Would it have been fundamentally different from the other areas of the ancient world? And there is, I think there is an argument to be made that it would not have been as different as we might imagine it to be. But that it would have, it too would have been one that would have been built on this idea of kind of that national god, that national god in this case being Yahweh, uh, who was to protect Jerusalem, the very seat and capital, um, the seat of God or the throne of God, and also the capital or the seat or throne of kind of the authority over Judah. And that god was a, a warrior god. This is the god who went to before the Israelites uh, into battle and made their battles uh, and their victories secure and would always protect and secure Judah from any possible threat on the horizon that you could imagine because Yahweh was the most powerful God making us even a small kingdom a very powerful entity in this ancient Near Eastern world that all comes crushing down horribly in with when Babylon sacks Jerusalem they flatten the palace, but they also flatten the temple. And so now you really have the people who are taken into exile uh, by the waters of the rivers. Is that what the, what the title was? By the waters of Babylon. Trying to figure out what does this mean for who God is. And what they determine is that how they imagined God was mostly incorrect. That yes, here that this this god our god isn't just one god among the many isn't just a national god but is in fact the god of the entire cosmos and here's where the idea of monotheism really comes to the fore this is where that I, that whole idea gets developed more fully we see that in kind of second isaiah and the idea of what and who God is in this world begins to change. God is no longer just on the side, or even primarily on the side, of the strong, powerful, and the, you know, uh, and the conquerors, but is in fact on the side of the slave, on the side of those who are most vulnerable. And so you get kind of this repeated mantra through uh, the book of Deuteronomy of the widow, the orphan, and the alien. Alien in this case being sort of the, the immigrant. Uh, those, those are the people that God lifts up because they are the ones who are the most vulnerable in the society and the society should be judged by how well it treats those who are most vulnerable within its realm. And this is a fundamental, and this I think is really kind of a fundamental change in how gods are conceived and how God is imagined. And it is that change then that makes us makes it possible for us 
to see who Jesus is. Because Jesus, too, comes not in the disguise, in, in the guise, not disguise, but guise, of a worldly king, how the Romans or the Greeks would have imagined kind of a, a worldly king or emperor, but comes as one who is among the most vulnerable in his society. He is a peasant. He is part of an occupied territory and an occupied people. The Jews, by Jesus' day, had been conquered by Rome, and it was a very contentious sort of relationship between many of the Jews and between Rome. Certain Jews had leveraged this, the, the Roman occupation to their advantage, such as King Herod, who basically sucked up to Rome and was kind of Rome's representative there in uh, Palestine, ancient Palestine. Uh, some of the, the priests had also done some of these things. Uh, and this is where some of the contention between Jesus and sort of the, the priests and the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, etc., really comes to the fore. It's not so much that Jesus is attacking Judaism necessarily, but he is attacking their ideas and their concepts of who God is and what that means for this ancient society. Um, and, and it's really this idea that the people that should be most important are the people that those in charge are largely ignoring. And not just ignoring, but have actually created a group of rules and laws and regulations that make it almost impossible for them to be included within within sort of the religious realm, or as God puts it, within God, or as Jesus puts it, within God's kingdom or God's empire. And so exile really is that moment when we begin to see and understand God in a very different way from the ways that God had been understood prior exile. And it is that understanding of God that comes out of exile that allows us to see and understand who Jesus is and what God is doing in and through Jesus. So this is really one of those key moments kind of in the history of not just the Bible, but really of, of, of the world and of Christianity and Judaism. And for a class... I think, because this is getting a little long now, we will actually look at some of the alternative uh, mythologies that would have been floating around during the time of exile. And we'll do just a little comparison w between sort of the creation accounts within our Old Testament and some of the creation accounts of these other ancient Near Eastern people to see how they are different and to see how that difference kind of relates to this idea of God. Until then, uh, and those two creation accounts, just in case you were interested, one is going to be from the uh, the creation account of Ashur, which is from the time of Tilgath-Pileser I, who was one of the Assyrian emperors of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, uh, which would have been about the time, a little bit roughly, that uh, the northern kingdom ends up going into exile. And the other one is going to become from the uh, Enuma Elish, which is uh, toxic, well, the main protagonist is Marduk, 
which is the god of Babylon, and is uh, repeated at one of the Akitu festival, which was an annual festival in the city of Babylon. So this is really at the heart of the Babylonian Empire, one that the Persian Empire actually continues to follow through after their conquest of Babylon. And in it we'll see kind of how that creation story begins to kind of set up the um, justification for continuing the rule of those empires. And so we'll compare those two creation accounts, and there's many others out there as well, but we'll compare those two in class with those are found especially in the first chapter of Genesis. Until this Sunday, I will see you later. Have a good day.